This episode was recorded on Friday, September 14th at 5.20 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. There's no question about it. We've got a lot more work to do. I've got a lot more work to do, and I'm ready and determined to do that work. leader Jagmeet Singh wants you to know that he knows he has a lot of work to do over the next year. And that might even be an understatement. He has to win a by-election in Burnaby South as an outsider, keep party incumbents, sharpen his question period skills, fine-tune his one-liners for the 6 o'clock news, and at least appear to have the complete support of his caucus. And speaking of caucus, federal NDP MPs camped out with Singh at a hotel in Surrey, BC this week to confront some hard truths about the state of their party ahead of Parliament's return on Monday. No question that Mr. Singh has his work cut out for him. If there were a leadership review vote this fall, I believe he would lose it. I knew that becoming a leader wasn't going to be an easy job. And he was right. It hasn't been an easy year. First, there was that interview with the CBC's Terry Molesky, where he asked Singh to condemn Sikhs who put up posters of Talwinder Singh Parmar, the man behind the Air India bombing. So you won't denounce those posters of Parmar? I don't know who was responsible, but I think we need to find out who's truly responsible. Then, the NDP leader found himself dealing with allegations of sexual misconduct surrounding two of his MPs, Christine Moore and Aaron Weir. The investigation has concluded that the allegations against Madame Moore were not supported by the evidence. And I think people should be given a second chance. And in this case, the leader doesn't think a second chance should be given to Mr. Weir. Then Singh decided to demote a party veteran. I think things could have been handled better. Singh drove a bit of a wedge between himself and his caucus by punishing veteran MP David Christofferson for voting with the Conservatives. Singh's opposition to the Kinder Morgan pipeline didn't win any points either with Alberta's NDP Premier Rachel Notley. It is a ridiculously naive statement. Overshadowing all of Singh's missteps is the general lack of enthusiasm about the NDP. Fundraising has taken a nosedive and the party's support is plummeting. Justin Trudeau has a significant uh, lead on Andrew Scheer. He has 39%, Scheer 27 Jagmeet Singh has 8 At caucus this week, Singh and his MPs did their darndest to try to turn things around. I think I would, it would be you know, insulting people's intelligence to say that we don't have challenges ahead. But at the same time, I also think that we're, we're moving forward in a, in a positive way. There's work that has to be done on the ground. I wasn't aware that people weren't able to identify a photo of him. But I could tell you when he was in my riding, I took him to an outfitter. People threw down their, their coolers and they ran at him. Those must have been some solidly built coolers. I'm Althea Raj, and you're listening to Follow Up, a HuffPost Canada politics podcast. I was in Surrey this week for what the NDP builds as an agenda-setting caucus meeting for the year ahead. In this episode, we'll speak to experts for their temperature check on the state of the party and hear from the leader himself. To be honest, my sit-down with Singh left me with more questions than I started with. Let us know what you think. I did get some clarity, though, from NDP MPs Linda Duncan and Irene Matheson. They'll explain why they decided to quit after more than a decade in federal politics. Stick around. To get a real lay of the land, I called up a few NDP strategists, former national directors, pundits, and one veteran MP for their take on the challenge ahead. 
faire mélanger. Basically, what, what, in your view, I mean, you're a close follower of this, what is the state of the party now and where do they need to be? Well, I think that the party is uh, not in the best uh, situation it has ever been. I think uh, that there is a need for uh, the leader to showcase what the plan is for the next year. Um, there is a need for uh, the troops to be... Uh, be motivated by a clear plan and a clear vision, because time is running out and people are, you know, are starting to wonder uh, what's going to happen in a year. Uh, you know, we have a lot of uh, things that our circumstances show, like the departure of many veteran MPs. Not, uh, not all uh, of them necessarily can be were caused by Mr. Singh's leadership, but but you know, some of them were like just been around for a very long time. Uh, and maybe they, you know, they were thinking about tyrant for a while. But the truth is that if the party was at 40% of the polls and heading towards government, uh, people would think twice before announcing a year out that they were that they're not going to run in the next election. And um, and at this point, uh, the party is facing the real possibility of of losing seats in the next election, which has never happened in two consecutive federal elections in the entire history of the NPCTF. If he runs and does not win, can he still be the leader in 2019? I don't see how. But, but I mean, however, uh, Mr. Singh losing at Burnaby South is quite improbable at this stage, especially considering that the Greens are not running a candidate against him. So the anti-pipeline uh, vote should coalesce around his candidacy while the liberals and conservatives split the pro pipeline vote. Yeah, but it does make the point that the stakes are really high. Well, the stakes are really high for him, for sure. The stakes are really high for the party. Okay, Robin, what can I ask about what you think the party's challenges are and how they can overcome them? Well, let's talk about money first. The party needs not only because it needs the money, but because being seen to be successful at raising money is a marker of political success to raise a lot more money quickly. I guess the second thing I would say is that the party has um, to seize upon a single anti-Trudeau message and hammer it hard. I do think this fall and next spring, if there isn't an early election, are almost certain to be better because the wheels are starting to come off a number of government projects that allow an opposition party to simply say, you know, you're not doing what you said you were going to do uh, without actually offering anything more positive and alternative response themselves to be successful. I mean, I think the climate change thing is going to get very ugly for the government. Tom Perkin. Hi, Tom. It's Althea. Hi there, how are you? Good. Um, how are you? I'm fine, thanks. Are you they're covering the um, NDP caucus? Yes, I'm covering the NDP caucus out in Surrey. I actually thought we were in Burnaby, but oops. No, no, next town over. So let me start off by asking you what you think the state of the party is. Well, uh, they're, they're not ready. They need more money. I mean, we've all seen the the public numbers about about finances. Uh, you know, the party kind of take a, took a two day uh, two year holiday on on fundraising, and it really only got back to business with the election of you know with the completion of the leadership race, which was only a year ago, not even yet. So, 
that's a that's a problem for them. They need their donors to step up. It seems to me fundraising is not the only problem that they have, um, even though perhaps there is quite a bit of opportunity to carve out space on the left um, with a government that promised that it would be a government on the left and hasn't really delivered. There's a huge space there. There is a huge space there in with amongst the, the, the center-left voter who will vote Liberal, will vote NDP, kind of depends on, on, on what's going on uh, and, and how they think their vote is going to work in their local constituency. Uh, what I think they need to do, sir, you know, they need to focus on kind of the everyday life issues. These are, if you look at what Andrew Horvath did, she's very well talking about the affordability of everyday life. If we look at what Mr. Horgan did, does very well on the affordability of everyday life. People, working class people, who are, you know, more inclined to, or hopefully more inclined to be Democrat supporters, are feeling very pressed on issues of affordability, on uh, issues like, you know, jobs without uh, drug benefit plans, uh, low wages, these kind of issues. And uh, these are all the spaces that, that, you know, we know that conservatives are not going to address these problems. I mean, they created these problems. Uh, and people are very frustrated waiting for the liberals to fix these problems, and they haven't. So I think it's, you know, the, the, the push is for the Democrats to step into that space very strongly, strongly as they can, uh, and, and try to uh, challenge the liberals by bringing forward solutions that, uh, that push them. Hi there. You've reached Nathan Cullen, Member of Parliament for Sina Bulkley Valley. Oh, man. I had something really pithy to say there, too, and my device didn't work. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? Ah, oh, the moment's gone. Okay, let me ask you about this caucus meeting. Yes. I was going back with some old quotes from the 2015 campaign, and one thing Carl had said was, you know, it's a disappointing result, but one thing we have built is this machine that we can use now. That's right. But, and, then, and then we tossed the leader, and the leader stuck around, and we let everything uh, mold on the shelf for two years. Yes. That's what we did. Like, I'm not making excuses. I'm just an observer in this, um, that people are wondering why the transition has gone less well than it should have and why it's taken so long to put the wheels back on the car. And it's like, well, because we put the car out in the rain for two years and didn't do anything to it. And so no wonder the engine's not working perfectly <laughs> and that we lost talent, we, uh, our lists went stale. All of those things don't, you, just, you simply just don't turn on the ignition. And I didn't realize how profoundly unattended some of those basic missions parts of the machine uh, were left. I, I didn't appreciate that. And have maybe three, four months ago, and so my patience actually became better because I was agitating like everybody else. And then it's like, okay, I understand that. Now show me the plan to, to fire it up again. And Jugbeat and I had a long drive around the riding in early July, and that's, we spent three days talking about that kind of stuff. And I'm not an operative. I'm not in the war room. I don't do that stuff. But I... I know what it looks like, you know, I don't, I, I'm not an artist, but I know art, <laughs> you know, it's like, I can, I can tell when we're crisp and tight and all of those things, and I, I feel more assured now than I did six months ago, three months ago even. 
That was NDP MP Nathan Cullen, columnist Tom Parkin, former NDP National Director and Campaign Manager Robin Sears, and past NDP National Director and Senior Advisor Carl Belanger. Jagmeet Singh has decided he needs the visibility a seat in the House of Commons might give him, so he's running to be the candidate in Burnaby South, a riding just vacated by NDP MP Kennedy Stewart so he could run to be Vancouver's mayor. Hi, I'm Jagmeet Singh, leader of Canada's New Democratic Party. Jagmeet, I went to Burnaby South where you are thinking of running in the by-election and um, I spoke to a number of people. What if you don't win? Well, what I've uh, what I've heard from people is that they're worried about they're worried about how they're not going to be able to have a future in in their own communities if they don't have someone putting pressure on the government to deliver things like a national housing plan that actually sees dollars roll out now, not in two years. So I'm worried about what people are going to face if we don't have a strong new democratic voice that's going to push the government to do what people need. I understand why you want to run and why you think your message will resonate in that writing. But I'm just wondering, I mean, it's a gamble. You could have decided not to run and wait until 2019. Why is it so important for you to be in the House that you're choosing to make uh, this point? And what happens if you don't win? So the reason why I chose to run is that at the end of the day, it became really clear that what people need and what people want to see happen wasn't actually being delivered by this government. So people were worried about housing and the government said, hey, we get it. There's a national crisis. Well, let's call it a national crisis. We're going to put funding in, but just wait. It's going to actually see see the light of day in about two years. That to me is just not satisfying the needs that people have and people can't afford to wait. And when it comes to pharmacare, I mean, at finally they started sounding like they're going to do pharmacare. And then the finance minister ruled out universal pharmacare, saying it's definitely not going to be universal. And then I realized, you know, he's still in it for his well-connected, wealthy friends, maybe Morneau, Chappelle shareholders who actually provide some sorts of coverage which might benefit from a patchwork of coverage. At the end of the day, what we need is a universal plan, which means covering everyone and which means a reduced cost for all Canadians. And so I realized the government's not going to deliver these things. We've got to put the pressure on them to make sure they do it. That doesn't answer. The second part. <laughs> well, the second part is, I mean, I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about what people are, are going to miss out on if they don't have these things like a, a national pharmacare plan, if they don't have a housing. But That's does what that I'm mean about. you just like you're not c- contemplating uh, not winning? Like you're not even willing to consider the possibility about what it might mean for your leadership and what it might mean for the party and what it might mean for election readiness in 2019? Th- those aren't my concerns. My concerns are, how do we make life better for Canadians? How do we raise the the problems that they're facing in a way that sees solutions delivered for them? I'm worried about how do we make a difference in people's lives? That's my focus and it will always be. We've heard you um, talk about being a really strong uh, voice in Parliament, about your MPs talking about being a defender of the people, about where the Liberals' failings are. Um, when I interviewed you after the leadership race, you know, your theme music was we're ready, we're ready. And you were talking about forming government. And I feel like the the language has changed a little bit to be like effective representation and bringing your needs and getting action on your needs instead of being like we are the governing alternative. Is that just because you've realized that it might be disingenuous to suggest with polling numbers being what they are, that you are ready to be in government in 2019? 
Well, I want to make it clear. The focus is always on making people's lives, making lives better. And so that's always my focus. Uh, I think the way to do that is to be in a position of power. So I'm absolutely running to be prime minister so I can make people's lives better. But that has got to be the focus. More than anything, it's what's going to actually improve, you know, the struggles that people are faced with. Like what's going to actually see uh, a concrete improvement for people to actually feel like, hey, I'm, I'm better now than I was before. That's what I'm focused on. So I only have 10 minutes with you. So if the, it sounds a bit disjointed, it's because we're not having a like natural conversation of sorts. One of the things that you have um, talked about here at the NDP caucus, uh, you called on the Liberals to allow the cities, uh, if they choose, to implement a handgun ban. And I wondered if that meant that if you were the NDP Prime Minister of Canada, you would bring back the long gun registry. No, not at all. What I, what I was focusing in on is that if a municipality makes that decision and, and they want to, they make that choice for that particular municipality, it's an issue. The federal government should not get in the way of a municipality making that choice, making that decision. We saw um, in 2016 when Mr. Mulcair was removed as the leader, the membership voted against him. There's a strong reason why he was removed was because we were having that meeting in Edmonton and a lot of people who were Rachel Notley supporters came into the room and they voiced their disagreement at the time with a policy being discussed called the Leap Manifesto. But there were a lot of people who were upset at Mr. Mulcair for not quashing that and not standing up for Rachel Notley. And you've had um, your squabbles with Ms. Notley Mostly, I feel like perhaps she has um, decided to call you, uh, quote unquote, ridiculously naive for your stance on on Kinder Morgan. Are you afraid that by not being arm in arm with Rachel Notley, you're excluding part of the NDP family? Well, I should I should probably clarify. I mean, I've always said, and I'll say it again, on 99.9% of issues, I, I agree with Premier Notley. In fact, I, I applaud and I uh, I congratulate the great work of the entire caucus in Alberta. They fought hard to defend education, to prevent cuts to healthcare. They've raised uh, minimum wages. They froze tuition fees. They've done a lot of phenomenal work in a, in a short period of time, really put forward a progressive agenda. I agree with the work of, of Premier Notley and the Alberta NDP on almost every single issue. There's one disagreement about where we should invest our public resources for the future of Canada. I stand by my decision, but I, I think we need, I don't think I know, we need a premier like Premier Notley if we ever hope to achieve our climate change goals or if we ever hope to have a bright and vibrant future for our country. Do you support her decision to pull out of the federal climate plan because of the decision, the Court of Appeals decision on Kinder Morgan? Well, I know that provinces are are faced with difficulties and each province has a different set of difficulties we've got to deal with. Uh, I believe it's a federal government's responsibility to provide supports for each province so that they can get on board on a national plan. Um, I'm disappointed that uh, things have got to the point where the federal different provinces don't have the the federal supports they need to be able to get into a, a national framework. And I think we've got a responsibility at the federal level to make sure all provinces can buy in on a plan that recognizes their unique struggles and helps us have a unified voice for a future where we're doing our part to fight climate change. I'm not sure if I understood that. Um, are you saying you do support her decision to pull out of the federal climate change plan or you don't? Well, I'm saying that I would like to see all provinces be a part of the federal climate change plan. Right, but and we so, know that's not going to happen. It will be imposed on them. So I'd like to see the future that I believe in is where we find ways to get everyone on board and understand their unique struggles and differences and find a way so that everyone can buy into a plan or be a part of a plan that helps us do our part to reduce emissions. Like That's what I want to see happen. Uh, 
I, I want to, I want all provinces to be a part of that plan. And I think it's our responsibility to find a way to do that. But on Ms. Notley's actions, are they appropriate in light of the Court of Appeals decision that basically sends Ottawa back to negotiate? So, I mean, if, if we break that down, the Court of Appeals decision was based on BC failures of the Liberal government. Right, and I'm sure you support it. I think you've government. already talked about yeah, that. Yeah, I said it's the But it I'm the just right wondering decision. if you think her action is appropriate. I, I mean, my, my position is that, you know, what we need to do, what we need to do at the federal level is make sure that provinces like Alberta, provinces like Saskatchewan are all a part of a, of a federal framework to reduce our emissions. And we've got to be a part of a, a plan to tackle climate change. There's got to be the leadership that brings everyone together. To do that, I feel like this government hasn't done what's necessary to make sure that everyone is a part of a plan. Uh, that's what I'd like to see happen. I'd like to see every province be a part of, of the solution towards reducing emissions. And I'd like that to be something that's across Canada. Okay, I'll end on this because I'm running out of time. But so... What should the federal government do to bring all these provinces who have very different competing interests, whether it's Premier Horgan or Premier Ford, uh, to buy into a national climate change plan? We've got to put in the hard work and make sure we sit down with all the provinces, understand what their struggles are, what their what their obstacles are, and, and make sure we've got a plan that understands that and gets everyone on board. Isn't that a little bit naive? It's, it's something that's tough to do and it's something that's important to do. Making a, a country like ours run requires a lot of work. It requires a lot of negotiation and requires a lot of uh, putting the time in. And I think that's necessary. Thank you. Thank you. That was NDP leader Jagmeet Singh. So what do the people of Burnaby think of the NDP leader who currently lives in Toronto parachuting himself in? I hit the streets to find out. Does the name Jagmeet Singh mean anything to you? Uh, no. Sorry. No. Never heard this name? No. What's no. About? He's the leader of the NDP. The federal leader of the NDP. No. No. What do you think of Jagmeet Singh? I've not heard of Jagmeet Singh. He's the NDP leader who is going oh. to be running in this by-election. Oh, I see. See, I'm not up on the politics, even the city ones. Does the name Jagmeet Singh mean anything to you? Oh, yes. He's the leader of the NDP party. Mm-hmm. Yes. Would you vote for him if he is the local candidate here? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> why, why not? Uh, well, I'm just not uh, particularly in favor of a number of their policies. And so, uh, no, I'm not an NDP supporter. Uh, my name is Belbier and uh, I live here in Metro Town, you know, in front of the Metro Town. Do you know Jagmeet Singh? I haven't met him personally, but I heard about it, you know, see on the news. So, yeah. And what do you think of him? I think he's a right kind of person, you know, to run in here, but uh, basically he doesn't live here right now. So that's the main concern about the people, you know, that he doesn't live here. So how he's going to commute, but when last time he was here, I read in the paper that uh, he's going to move here and live here if he's elected, you know. So it all depends how it goes. That last time, the Kennedy stewards have only 500 votes, you know. He won with the 500 votes. So very small margin, you know. <laughs> Are you a new Democrat supporter yourself? 
Well, certain time I vote New Democrat, but mostly if from the bottom of my heart, I'm a liberal, you know. So if it's the right person, I vote NDP, you know. So in the by-election, which way do you think you'll vote? Uh, I don't know who's running for the liberal, but I vote Jagmeet, you know. It's not that he's Punjabi, but he's the right kind of person, you know. What makes him the right kind of person? Well, because he's educated, you know, and uh, he's become a leader of the party, so he might have uh, some qualities. He's a lawyer by profession, so, and uh, he study here, and he speaks good English, everything is fine, you know, so. My name is Ward Edgar, and as far as the, the the issue with uh, the NDP leader moving from, I think he's out Toronto, Ontario area, to run in a riding in Burnaby that he's never grown up in, has doesn't really know the true concerns of the riding. I don't, I don't uh, agree with that. I think someone that has lived there, grown up there, knows the concerns, is is knows the the neighborhood, knows the area, should be running. That's my opinion. You said you're a new Democrat. I am a new de new Democrat. Yes, I am. Have you voiced your opinion? <laughs> I guess. What do you think of Jagmeet Singh as a leader? Do, what do I think of him as a leader? Uh, I'm mixed. I mean, I think he needs more time yet to prove to prove his uh, his worth. I guess, for lack of a better word. But and I'm willing to give him the uh, the opportunity. Yes. But if he doesn't win in Burnaby South? I think, I think if he loses, he's in trouble, and the NDP party has federally are in trouble. And that's the risk that I think they're taking, and I don't think they should be doing that right now. joke is in my community and everybody comes up to me now is I said what's your number one thing I'm gonna get a dog because <laughs> I love dogs and people see me walking down the street everyone that goes by can I pet your dog that's the voice of NDP MP Linda Duncan she is one of seven party veterans who've decided to leave federal politics and not run again in 2019 I sat down with her and fellow outgoing incumbent Irene Matheson for a frank discussion on how the party has changed and their insights on where it's going I'm Irene Matheson. I'm the MP for London Fanshawe. I was an MPP in Ontario, and I spent uh, five years in the Ontario caucus. So by the time I'm done here, um, I expect uh, I'll have nearly 19 years of service, and I'm very grateful for every minute of those 19 years. Hi, I'm Linda Duncan. I'm the Member of Parliament for Edmonton Strathcona. I was the first New Democrat elected in Alberta in 25 years, and I remained the first ever re-elected and re-re-elected. <laughs> so I feel very privileged. Thank you both for joining us. I really appreciate it. I'm going to pick up on something that you both said. Uh, you seem to talk about your time uh, on Parliament Hill with a lot of affection. So why leave? Well, uh, for me, uh, as I said, it'll be nearly uh, 19 years, and I've been married for 44. And so in that 19-year span, I spent a lot of time away from my home and from my husband. And uh, if you've 
uh, ever had the chance to meet my husband. He's absolutely adorable. <laughs> I want time with him. Um, for me, it's not because of a spouse still looking. <laughs> Many close uh, misses. I've had the privilege of working in Ottawa, Halifax, teaching environmental law, working in Yukon, working in Indonesia, working in Bangladesh, and then working out of Montreal with Mexicans and Americans and Canadians. And uh, I missed out a lot. I had both sisters die and my father um, while I was away. And now I just have one wonderful brother and a niece and some wonderful friends. And I just want for the first time in my life to, to have that as my priority. It's, you know, it's just I want to get back to just being an ordinary Canadian. Um, I'll tell you one of the frustrations with being elected, and that has been both under the Harper regime and under the Trudeau regime. As MPs, we can't just pick up the phone and talk to an official in any of the departments. Uh, we're blocked. We have to go through political offices. I'm not used to that. Um, all Most of my career, I would work directly representing communities and I would call up those offices and I look forward to being able to do that again because I really like to be able to help people out and that's one of the most important things you can do is have a Rolodex of the appropriate people to call and, and get help for people. So I'm not about to disappear. I know I'll be my own worst enemy but I am looking forward to having a little bit of time off. Are you saying that you can't uh, get anything done through working with the political office? Um, in the constituency, we have this wonderful thing that members of parliament offices can do, right? We have a direct line to immigration, to candy revenue, and so forth. But as members of parliament, we can't just call up an official in Environment Canada or in immigration and say, or me calling Global Affairs and saying, hey, I need information on, on what kind of aid we've been giving to Somalia or Ethiopia. You can't do that. You have to go through the minister's office. So... Um, that's something that hasn't gone away. And I think that it makes it difficult, I think, for members of parliament to, to be effective. Yeah. Mm. And I'd like to uh, chime in on that. Um, when I was the uh, critic for Veterans Affairs, I was asked by veterans to come and meet and, and talk about an issue in regard to the base in London. Uh, they were closing it down, and it was um, a focal point for not just uh, the reserves, but uh, for employers who would find really qualified and good people there. And I was asked by the people who were affected, could I go and visit the base and chat? Now, the irony is that I'd gone to that base many, many, many times and, uh, in fact, had a, a reasonable relationship with people on the base. The Harper government, when um, it was uh, bandied about that I was going to make this visit, banned me from the base. No explanation, just you cannot come on the base. And the liberals have uh, done the same thing. Uh, the whole issue around uh, Phoenix, workers wanted to talk to me and, and explain to me about what was happening to them and their families. Uh, they had no money. Uh, they were being improperly paid. And they wanted to tell their MP about what was happening to them. Again, I was banned from uh, meeting with them and eventually did, but we had to uh, orchestrate um, a, a meeting that was very, very expensive in terms of we had to rent a, a space. And my question back is always, what is uh, government so afraid of that they would stand in the way 
of constituents speaking to MPs about issues. Are there other changes that you feel, I mean, I know you both started under the Harper government, um, so I can't ask you to tell me about Martin or Jean Chrétien, but um, are there other changes that you've noticed in how your job has changed over the last couple of years? It's become more more difficult, really. Um, and, and one of the things that has happened is the huge layoff that occurred under the Harper government has never been addressed. And so... You mean uh, the 19,000 yes, job cuts uh, or yes. attrition cuts? Uh, yes. And uh, and so there's a huge shortage in terms of, of uh, experienced personnel in uh, ministries and departments like uh, CRA, um, like um, Veterans Affairs. And we don't have the resources. I'll tell you one thing that hasn't changed and that the promise was that it would change. Uh, the line of the Trudeau government has been, we're all in this together. And yet, each time one of my colleagues steps forward and says, I have a proposal how we're going to resolve the homeless. Um, I have a solution on maybe some ideas on climate change. They're not interested in talking to us, even though we're duly elected. Here's another thing that I've noticed that has really changed, and it's not in a good direction. Um, I felt under the Harper government that we were much more in unanimity in committee work than now under the Liberals. It's gotten to the point now where um, not only are they told what to say, they're actually told not to say anything at all. Why can't they be freed up to speak their mind? You know, we're actually very amenable. Like, we will vote for other parties' private members' bills um, because we know they're going in the right direction. But I'm getting tired of voting for motions and bills that do nothing because their PMO wants it watered down, just in case they might have to be committed to doing anything. Um, you know, there's some terrific people in all of the parties. What would happen if... Um, but in, this in case, the House of Commons, we be, didn't sit with the party. What in. if they just kind of like mixed us up and, and you sat, you know, intermittent in the House? What would happen? Even in committee, right? We're supposed to be there as individuals, but we draw the line, okay? We've got the government of the day on one side and then the opposition on the other side. And sometimes we have, have chairs who forget they're supposed to be there as neutral. I don't think it's rocket science to try to open up the place, but... You know, you're going to need commitment. I like that suggestion about people sitting with um, different <laughs> people from different parties. Um, we are recording this at the NDP caucus meeting in Surrey in British Columbia. And part of the discussion this week has been about um, kind of resetting and relaunching your new leader. Uh, you both came in under Jack Layton. Jack Layton was the party leader when you both ran, uh, even you the first time. <laughs> um, what advice, actually, before I go there, Give me your sense of how you view the party's change or not change. I'm not sure um, how it has evolved, perhaps, under all these different leaders and what you think the, um, if you think what the NDP stands for has changed or how, how do you perceive the party? Well, um, I I have served uh, under uh, a number of leaders and watched. I think that um, when it comes to Jagmeet, he has a good heart. He works hard. Uh, he is a very, very capable individual. Um, and as with uh, Jack Layton and Thomas Mulcair, we have to get that message out. When when uh, I came on the Hill, uh, Jack was not perceived in 
the same way as he was uh, by the time we won official opposition. He had to work very, very hard. You know, each one of our leaders has been completely different. You know, uh, my favorite moment with Jack was his moment in the house when, um, I don't know if I can say this on the radio, right? He went to say big oil and he said big ass. Will the prime minister finally get something done and do something the former government wouldn't and cancel the subsidies to big oil and big ass, a big uh, gas? That slip of the tongue had MPs from all parties hooting and hollering until the speaker called them to order for the prime minister's cheeky reply. The right honorable prime minister will have a little order, please. Mr. Speaker, I, I promise to get to the bottom of it. But his response, like he just doubled over laughing at himself. And that's, you know, that's what everybody loved about Jack. I mean, such an incredible people person. Well, look at Tom. I mean, Tom carried the day. It was Tom uh, was why the, the Harper government fell. That dogged, incredible work he did in the house with his team you know, was just unbelievable. And now we have Jagmeet. Jagmeet, a totally different personality. And, you know, a lot of the feedback I get all the time is talking to taxi drivers. Each one of us have shared when we came to the caucus, right? We, those of us took a taxi here from the airport. I had somebody from the sick community. And I just said, oh, you know, I'm, I'm in the NDP caucus. I'm going with Jagmeet. He says, that's my guy. Okay. Well, it's a totally different group of people, right? I mean, at our convention, how exciting it was. You know, so many young from the sick community, so many elders from the sick community. Um, sure, it's different. And how exciting that that uh, it's totally different now. And we have a leader that isn't in the house yet, but neither was Jack. He was skilled as an MMP in Ontario. Um, he's an experienced criminal lawyer and deeply believes in, in human rights and democracy, I think, wow, won't it be cool to have him in the House because it'll be a whole different flavor um, in, in the House of Commons. If you had one word of advice, or maybe just a phrase, <laughs> to keep it short, uh, for whoever will sit next in your chair, what would it be? Have courage, have integrity, and know that you're there to serve. Um, make sure that you're hearing the voices in your riding, and then make sure that you are providing a voice in the caucus and in the house. Thank you both very much. I enjoyed this. Thank, Thank you. you. It was wonderful. That was Edmonton Strathcona MP Linda Duncan and London Fanshawe MP Irene Matheson. Well, while all this NDP drama was wrapping up in British Columbia, in Ottawa, former Conservative MP Maxime Bernier used the last weekday before the House's return to announce he wasn't kidding. He's forming a new party, and its name is the People's Party of Canada. Why this name? Because it is time that the government put Canadian people first when they make decisions and policies. It is time to put the power back into people's hands. For too long, Canadian politics has been hijacked by interest groups, cartels, lobbies, and international organizations, corporate or union interests, and the interests of politicians and bureaucrats in Ottawa who are disconnected from ordinary citizens. This is why government never stops growing. 
taxes and regulation never stop increasing, the Liberal government is out of touch and out of control. That was Maxime Bernier of the new People's Party of Canada. And that's our show from Surrey, BC. If you enjoyed this episode on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review there. And as always, you can send us your thoughts and comments on Facebook or Twitter. My handle is Althea Raj, A-L-T-H-I-A-R-A-J. A huge thank you this week to HuffPost politics reporter Zian Lum, who helps me produce this show. Stephanie Warner is our technical producer. Andre Lau is our executive producer. Thank you for listening. <laughs>